It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Las Vegas has long been known as the entertainment capital of the world, but in the last 10 to 20 years, it has also dominated the restaurant and celebrity chef world, the retail industry market, trade, major conventions, and sports. Two crucial elements that have long been part of Las Vegas, but not globally reported on a consistent basis, are infrastructure and transportation. National Infrastructure Week is May 13th through the 20th, and my guest is Tina Quigley. She's CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada. For everything about the RTC, go to rtcsnv.com, and that's not easy to say, and follow the commission on Twitter at rtcsnv. And Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while because a lot of people think that transportation and infrastructure are not necessarily that connected to the Las Vegas that both visitors and locals know. And since people listen to our show globally, I thought it would be great to sit down with you, talk a little bit about the impact of transportation infrastructure in Las Vegas, both for visitors and locals. Before we even do that, let's just talk a little bit about your background because you were at the airport Mm -hmm. and somewhere either at the airport or after or before the airport, you got a pilot's license. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I actually started flying when I was 16. I was was going to be a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to be a pilot, then became an airport planner and then became a transportation administrator. Well, how did you make the transition Mm -hmm. from the airport to the RTC. RTC? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd been at the airport, and actually I followed a boss. My The former general manager was Jacob Snow, and I had worked for him at the airport. And Jacob you know, has been a guest on the show He has, Yeah, ago, so yeah. Jacob's a visionary. He was inspiring to me. We all love those managers where they, they give you something to do, and then they walk away, and they say, it's yours. Show me what you can do. Uh, and I, I, I thrive under that type of management, so I was very excited when I had the opportunity to follow him over to the RTC. And how many years have you been here now? I've now been at the RTC for 14 years. And I absolutely love it. I did not expect to love it. I didn't know what was exciting or sexy about transit or transportation. Um, but when you think about it in the role of the RTC, so a lot of times you'll think of the RTC as just being the bus company right. or just being the roads. We're actually, um, of course, buses and, and, and roadway planning and roadway funding. And then we're also the traffic management center. We manage the traffic management center. It's extremely unusual to have all those components under one governance structure, under it's one region, umbrella. It's a regional commission. It is. It's, it's so regional. So it's not limited to Las Vegas. No. It's Southern Nevada. No, it's, it's, it is all of Southern Nevada. Our boundary is basically the same as the Clark County boundary. And I, I love it. I, you know, I, I, again, I thrive in those environments where you are challenged, and we have a board who says, you know, gives us direction, gives us vision, but then they let us go do it and execute and report back to them. And it's just, it's, it's very fulfilling to, to get to work with the community, identify where we're at, where we want to go, and then just start, start getting things done. And I love it. Do you have to deal with, as is typical of many agencies, you have to deal with certain complaints from certain people oh, yeah. about different aspects of their own view of transportation sure. or infrastructure? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there's, certainly there are those who feel we need more emphasis on transit and, and, and high capacity type systems. And there are those who feel we need more, we need to limit those and instead focus on roads and additional lane miles. Um, and then, of course, we all feel like there's lots of room for improvement as it relates to traffic signalization. And, and we can talk about that. Technology is starting to, to help us improve. 
And then, of course, there are those who are very frustrated with roadway construction and the orange cones that are out there, and we can talk about the that. The famous orange well. cones, which, as I understand it, will be married with smart technology. Yeah. Which is great. to experiment well, well, with let's, that. Let's okay. talk globally first and then sure. into the particular... Absolutely. Especially since, again, it's National Infrastructure Week. So I were related to National Infrastructure Week. I can tell you that we're very excited that there, there actually is an official organization called National Infrastructure Week, and they've selected four cities in the United States where they want to have summits, panel discussions, and intense attention paid to Infrastructure Week. And we are the western city that was selected. So they do a north city, a south city, an east city, and a west, western city. So related to that week, we will be elevating several events on Monday, We will actually have the Western Summit. It'll be hosted by the RTC and National Infrastructure Week. We're going to host it at the Springs Preserve. The theme is going to be technology and innovation. On Wednesday, May 15th, we're going to be having an event called Careers in Motion, where we'll bring in various representatives from training programs, labor unions, and employers. People who attend can learn about what it takes to launch a career in the transportation or engineering, design, construction industries. And then on Friday, May 17th, The Latin Chamber of Commerce is going to host a panel and a luncheon with small businesses. We'll have the Small Business Expo at Suncoast Hotel and Casino. Are those open to the public? They are. Every single one of those is about engaging the public. How does that tie in with what your mission is and why it's important for both the national recognition of infrastructure and then the Southern Nevada emphasis on infrastructure. So I appreciate National Infrastructure Week raises the awareness of the fact that transportation and infrastructure are tied together and that mobility is really the core of all communities and economic development. The ability to move people, freight, and we talk about moving data as well or communications as well. Moving those things at the core of it is why we are all employed and why we thrive as an economy. And I think we forget that. We forget that yeah, community building is, is about connecting people and how we're connected. Every time you step out of your door, you're going somewhere. And how you get there is part of the RTC's conversation, I'm trying to get you there more efficiently, um, more reliably, faster, safer. Those are our core conversations. Unless you have agoraphobia, in which case you never leave the house, so that's not an issue, Yeah, right? exactly, in which case so. we don't have so much economic <laughs> development, do we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess we could just Amazon Prime everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Live in a shell and yeah. never go out. What's the biggest, from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge for Southern Nevada transportation and infrastructure? And we could separate sure. the two, and maybe not separate the two, depending on from your expertise and your viewpoint. What's the biggest challenge you see for the next 10 years? Well, I don't think it's any different than that of any other community. And that is we are going to be really, we need to address how we get more out of the capacity that we have before we have to go and invest more. So when I say infrastructure, you know, you want to immediately just think about pavement and, and sidewalks. But infrastructure really includes things like fiber. It includes things like, like bike lanes and, well, and sidewalks, safety issues, things that allow people, no matter what your mode is, to move more expeditiously and, and safer. So our biggest challenge is going to be remembering, to, and just like all other, all other communities, remembering that mobility is not just cars. Mobility is all modes, and that we are focused on all modes and safety and capacity related to all modes. And that's, that's a shift for a lot of people. I think a lot of times 
historically, especially in the Western states, we have thought of transportation as strictly being streets and highways. And that is not going to be the case moving forward. There's a lot more. We can get a lot more efficiency out of what we do have if we, if we take a look at considering all different modes and offering modal choices. I think part of it is we're always car-centric in the West. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the RTC website... When I say you, not you, Tina, but yeah. people listening, uh, you do see there's emphasis on bikes, uh, there's emphasis on buses, there's emphasis on different kinds of transportation. It's not limited to just yeah. the car, so to speak. So your challenge is to come up with a, as you mentioned, finding the maximum capacity, effective maximum capacity for what we currently have right. before we then start yeah. developing infrastructure. Yep. So it, do you see? And I know one of the the recent discussions was whether or not to create light rail on Maryland Parkway mm-hmm. and whether or, or instead to add additional buses to sure. that particular corridor, which is a busy corridor for those listening who are not in Las Vegas, but for those who do listen and live in Las Vegas, they know what I'm talking about. So you have to make those decisions and you never please any yeah, one right. person or any one entity. Mm-hmm. How, what's the decision-making process that goes into something like so, that? So well, that particular de- decision-making process was was extensive in, the, in terms of the community outreach, in terms of the preliminary engineering, the environmental work, and then, of course, keeping our board apprised each way. And in the end, they elected to go with the bus rapid transit alternative, which is, is very much like, a, hopefully operates very much like a rail system in a dedicated lane with, um, you know, off-board fare collection and level boarding so we can easily move wheelchairs on and off. Well, what do you mean by off-board fare collection? That's uh, a technical off, term. That no I'm sorry. You're, you're right. About. You're right. That means... I'm here to make it easy for the average <laughs> I guy. It. So, you know, when you buy, go ride a subway or you ride a rail, you buy your ticket before you get on board. As opposed to traditional bus, each time you know, you're putting money in the fare box and the driver's sitting right next to the fare box, and that takes a lot of time then to process. If you've got 10 people who want to get they each have to touch the fare box, you're talking about extended dwell time. Or in my case where I'm struggling to get that dollar bill into that <laughs> slot and it exactly. never seems to work. But that's me, not the slot. But right. you're right, it, it slows the line behind me down. So when you buy your fare off-board, when you buy it at a ticket vending machine, or we're starting to move towards the mobile app, buying your fare on your mobile application before you get to the bus, then once these very wide doors open, you can have 30 people get off very quickly and you can have 30 people get on very quickly. So it'll, so. Read, it'll read the mobile app mm-hmm. then when you get on. Yeah. Know that you're doing that. That's great. There That's are different type, types of technologies yeah. that are out there, yeah. When you're, so you're looking at using, again, back to that discussion of the existing sure. infrastructure. I, That's I have, an example of it. I have some. Yeah, you're right. Yes, yeah. Just trying to take what you've got and make it more efficient through the exactly, use of, right, of technology. Right. One of the, I, I love sharing some of the things that we are working on. We have partnered with some of the automakers to share our traffic light data with cars directly. So if you buy a newer model Audi right now, you have the ability to subscribe to a service that they have wherein our traffic light can talk to the car, communicate to the car, how many more seconds until the light's going to turn red or the light's going to turn green. And what that does is it allows people to kind of know, like you pull up and it might say, we have some very long cycles, especially left-hand turn cycles. And it could say you have 190 seconds until the next, um, the light. That tells you a few things as a driver. One, I can you know pick the baby's bottle up off the floor, or read <laughs> read my notes for Ira's podcast, or inevitably somebody's right. going to pick up their phone and, and right. read their text. But it also has an audible <laughs> alert. So four seconds before the light does turn green, 
it alerts and tells the driver, head in the game, light's going to turn green. Because how many times have you been behind a car where that lag happens? And when that lag happens, you have lost some capacity with that cycle. And if you have a domino effect of this, then you could have, you, you could have lost the ability to get five more cars through, through that cycle. If we've got smarter drivers through technology, then boom, we've gotten more capacity without having to have any additional infrastructure, no right-of-way acquisitions, no orange cones out there. Immediately, we've gotten more um, with, with just what we've got. Another example is we've partnered with a company called Waycare. Actually, it was just a, an entrepreneurial startup that wanted to come to Las Vegas and see if they could show us how they can predict where the next accident or incident was going to occur along a test portion of I-15. And in fact, it took a while, but we did get there. And now when uh, we, we call them hot spots, when we see a hot spot starting to a perfect storm of this starting to occur, we'll remind people using our dynamic message signs how many or what the speed limit is. But then we'll also put a Nevada Highway Patrol car out there. And you'd be surprised that those two actions alone will get 90 percent of drivers to reduce their speed. And in our test period, we have seen so far a reduction, a 17% reduction in the number of accidents. Uh, the other thing is that we're able to respond quicker to accidents because they, they're using an algorithm where they actually scrape internet data and they, they, lots of things are being fed into this algorithm, lots of in data inputs. And we're able to respond to an accident 12 minutes faster than we used to, which means we're able to clean it up 12 minutes faster, which again is getting more capacity out of the infrastructure you have before you go and build more. And it's more safe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, really oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I should mention that we're saving lives. Yes, <laughs> that would help. <laughs> now, yeah. what about the low-tech solution? I was just thinking as you were talking about that yeah. great idea of the app or in the car where you get the notification of how much time you have left. Mm -hmm. Have they thought about or have you thought about or the agency thought about putting speakers at various, not all, but some intersections so that even if you don't have that for that particular car, if you drive an older car as I do, you would then get a message coming from the intersection speaker saying, this light's going to be here for a while, probably right. about a minute and a half. So Right. No, we haven't. We have not. to get out stretch, you yeah. can. <laughs> but we, we haven't talked about, about that, about using audio at, at the lights. But I will tell you that the city of Henderson is experimenting with an emergency response system that does give audible alerts to everybody at the intersection area when an emergency vehicle is going to be coming through. They're using GPS. They're routing the emergency vehicle using GPS, so the route is already established. So the infrastructure knows, you know, 30 seconds even before the vehicle arrives that this vehicle is going to be showing uh, arriving at this intersection and of course gives you know shuts down the intersection gives it all red lights but people in the area now know why all the, the lights have been have turned exactly uh, yes yeah, so we're hearing a siren mm -hmm, in the you hear this yeah but even before you hear that siren you'll know you the audio will tell you so if the test on. works in Henderson, that will be rolled out to they the are other yeah the other the the other jurisdictions are looking at it as well that's mm -hmm. a great idea it, it is funny how you can be creative. Most people don't think of a government agency as being overly creative. It's just the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. But I've even seen over the last several years how, for example, your agency has come up with ideas and trying out different programs and offering different ways to do things. As I mentioned to you before we started, I take a bus from near where we live to the airport, which is just great. You park your car. It's like park and ride. Right. And you know, I think it's... $2. Mm -hmm. It is. It's $2. And they yeah. drop you right off at the airport, and they watch your car for you. 
which is great. No resort fee, no parking fee. <laughs> so it works <laughs> out really awesome. well. Yeah. yeah. Right. So no, it's, it's a great thing. Well, let's take a break. Sure. My guest, Tina Quigley, is CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada. For everything about the RTC, go to rtcsnv.com well and follow the commission on Twitter at rtcsnv. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Tina Quigley, CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada. We're talking about infrastructure and transportation. It's on the cusp of National Infrastructure Week, May 13th through the 20th. For everything about the RTC, Go to rtcsnv.com and follow the commission on Twitter at rtcsnv. And if you do go to the website, and I have been to the website, I also follow on Twitter, you do find a lot of information you don't think connected with what we typically think of a regional transportation commission will get involved in. There's a bunch of planning that goes on, clearly. There's the FAST program that you alluded to Mm -hmm. earlier. There's the bicycles I talked about before. There's the bus and the bus schedules and all of that. And you can get that on an app as well if you go to your smartphone, right. yep. which is handy. But what would you, and I mentioned earlier about the biggest challenge. For people listening who come to Las Vegas and don't really think about transportation or infrastructure, what would you like them to know in terms of what you're doing that they will experience? They may, oh, sure. they may do it at a very subconscious level, sure. which is ideally the way to do it. You don't want to necessarily have improvements or changes right in the face or ear of visitors. But just as an example, I'll throw something out to you. Years ago, Jacob Snow was with the RTC, and they had those buses on the Strip starting up. Mm -hmm. And that made a a difference. Mm -hmm. The double-deckers? The double-deckers, absolutely That was so fun when we first added those double-deckers, yeah. Yeah. I would say that one, we, of course, we'd want our visitors to understand that we do have, we have two systems that operate, two transit systems that operate along the Strip. One is the Deuce that you just mentioned, which stops every quarter of a mile and really is kind of an experience as well since you can sit on top. And then we also have what we call the Strip and Downtown Express, which doesn't stop as frequently, but moves you a lot faster from stop to stop and goes and does go downtown and stops by the uh, convention center. So it's a great, and, and it. It's got very wide doors. It does have off-board fare collection, like we talked about, right. where you buy your ticket beforehand. Pre-purchase. And it, and it really is pre-purchase, <laughs> yes. and it is designed to move expeditiously, to move right. quickly along an express route system. So we have those two. Other things I would want, they're, they're never going to notice, but I would I enjoy being able to share, is that the amount of work that goes into event preparing for special events, for nights games, or for large events where we know we're going to have those intense peak hours and intense demands on our roadway infrastructure, that there's a lot of coordination related to the event manager and our traffic signalization. Because we really want to be able to flush that traffic as efficiently as possible. I also would want everybody to know that we do operate the Golden Knights Express 
on game days. We're partnered with certain PTs, bars, and our restaurants. And uh, yeah, you certainly can, for only $2, you can ride from some of these locations straight into express you right into the Knights game. You mentioned about structuring up or preparing for major crowds. You, you talked about really peak sta- hours, yeah. Yeah, you, you talked about staffing up for peak hours, and, and part of peak hours has to be the conventions that come into town. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and there's also Mr. Musk's proposed underground sure. yeah. deal as well, the tunnel to transport attendees to the convention center. Where do you see that going? Well, first, the the, the very first phase or implementation of the, the Boring Company's project will be just on the LVCBA campus, and it will be a one-mile segment uh, in two directions, so two, we would call them lane miles. And we look forward to seeing how that works out, because if, it, if, it's, if it's something that is efficient and that our community likes, then certainly it, it, we could consider expanding that, that footprint. Do you also then work with the monorail? We do. We, as well, we or? do. Now the monorail is privately right. owned and operated, but right. yes, we have a lot of coordinating conversations with the monorail. Especially if there's a big convention in town, mm-hmm. you have to kind of work with a bunch of different agencies involved. Right. Yeah. Looking at it with your history with the RTC, what do you see as coming down the horizon that's going to make a big difference in terms of our growth here in the Vegas Valley? Do you see? A major change in how we approach transportation, or do you see an incremental change, say in the next five sure. to ten years? Five to ten years will be incremental. Well, it would always be incremental. But what I really see happening is increasingly having what would they call it vehicle to infrastructure communication. So making sure that we have the ability for a lot of data transmission, information sharing between infrastructure and cars. And that is going to make our drivers smarter and safer and more efficient. So we'll be, again, be working towards getting more out of the capacity that we have. We've got a geometry problem in some corridors, and the resort corridor is a perfect example. You, you can't get any more right-of-way for any additional cars, and yet we also know we can't add any additional cars. So the next best thing is how do we make those cars more efficient as they travel through the corridor. The other thing that we have to do is consider higher capacity vehicles as well. We need to get people out of cars in those geometry challenged corridors and move them you know, in higher concentrated vehicles because otherwise we're stuck. How do you marry the technology that you talked about with other elements of the transportation picture? I was sure. just thinking as an example, the, the rideshare companies. Mm-hmm. That could be a, a major boost connecting and letting them know through some system mm-hmm. as well if there's a bottleneck yep. up ahead or to, where to go or where not to go. Yep. So either either with uh, Uber or Lyft or others, mm-hmm. uh, that's got to be part part of that overall picture, I would think. Absolutely. And, and the cabs, too. Yep, absolutely. We also, there's, so there's vehicle-to-infrastructure communication that can go on. There's also um, vehicle-to-vehicle communication that could go on. So vehicles really can become sensors. Video sensors, they can gyroscopic sensors, and letting us kind of know where there might be potholes based on the, the the data that that car is collecting, and congestion sensors. They could tell if we know thirty cars from me that there is congestion, and it tells my car that now my car can recalculate its navigation route, um, just like when you're using ways to. I call it diffuse and disperse, to start to diffuse and disperse off of those very congested corridors into corridors that are, that are maybe not operating at full capacity yet. So again, using the infrastructure you have before having to build more, there are corridors that are high demand that are during peak hours 
there's too many cars on them. But we have other corridors where there's not that much activity. And if we had smarter cars knowing that, then we could diffuse and disperse. And you talked earlier on, and we never got back to it, so now's sure. a perfect time, especially with technology, with the orange cones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's, love, let's talk love, about the orange cones. I love And we're not I, talking ice cream cones, no. here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so orange cones are just the bane of frustration, you, you know, and it, it just... You think it's the color? Maybe it was a different color. <laughs> I've seen so... I'll tell you. So um, orange cones are frustrating. Orange cones are frustrating because they take away capacity that we feel like we've already paid for, and I, I hate seeing that road torn up again. Orange cones are frustrating because sometimes they are up there, and yet I don't see any construction activity going on, and I cannot understand why, they have, why they're there. So we are in a pilot program with a company called Nexar, which is, again, an entrepreneur company, the small company that has started up a group of entrepreneurs, to create a data analytics using dash cams. Nexar has a series of dash cams there in countless number of thousands of vehicles here in Southern Nevada. Using those dash cams as video sensors to collect cone information. We had to teach the artificial intelligence. Uh, we had to create an analytics program that could learn what a cone is, which is harder <laughs> than you think because there are fat cones, skinny cones, right. tapered cones. Um, you know, you've seen white cones, uh, yellow cones. I even saw a purple cone the other day that valets were using. So teaching the analytics what a cone is. Um, and not was, a small child, just a cone. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, you don't want to misinterpret it. Right. Some kids walking. You need to yeah. know, yeah. There's a movable cone there. That's not right. And then <laughs> start, we're, we're going to collect that data, and then we're going to start to overlay it with where we are seeing congestion and, and accidents. And we will learn what cone setups, what type of tapering um, and preparation for lane closure is effective and, and doesn't cause as much congestion or accidents versus bad cone setups. And then um, I would like to move into the conversation of also collecting where you see active construction equipment through this analytics program and where you don't. Because we want to have a very transparent conversation with our construction companies of, you know, I because I can have them right now when I'll, I'll say, hey, you're, there's no activity going on out here. And they'll say, yes, there was. You know, and I don't have, you know, I've just got anecdotal um, evidence. To, <laughs> right, but, but now, you, you now if I have data. actual analytic data to say you have not been active for over two weeks and yet your cones are still there, you, know, you need to pull them back until you're active again, then we immediately get capacity back that we've already paid for. Again, getting more capacity out of the infrastructure we have before we have to build more. Would it come from... The RTC, or would it come from either the city or the county departments of public works? Right. So our, that work? our job would be to make everybody aware of this, and it would yeah, the enforcing agencies would be the cities and the county. But you would make them aware based on we, this new we, uh, we actually have a committee with all the cities and county and barricade companies and construction companies and NDOT, and we call it the Regional Planning Coordination Committee, of which they actually do have a subcommittee called the Orange Cone Committee. <laughs> actually, Orange, I love that. The uh, <laughs> Tell us a little bit before we go about the sure. MPO, Metropolitan Planning Organization. Every region in the United States has a designated MPO, Metropolitan Planning Organization. It's a federalized term, and that means that the, the federal government has designated you as the recipient, the guardian, the coordinator of federal funds for doing planning studies that relate transit and land use planning or transit and transportation evolution or, or studies with the, within the valley. So the we are the MPO. The committee that governs that is made up of the cities and the county. And together we decide where these regional planning monies are going to go, what type of efforts we're going to be studying. That's good because a lot of people don't realize how, again, how extensive 
the agency is involved in so many areas of transportation and infrastructure. Yeah. And cones. Yes, it's it really important. Too. I love those cones. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I think it's great. Is there anything that you see coming up at you that I haven't asked you about? We have about a minute or two left that oh. I may that you may want to talk about. Um, I would share that we are very focused on helping the community. The, the community, I mean, uh, my, my peers at the, the cities and the county come together to work on what I, smart community, a smart community's vision, a smart community's conversation. You know, there's a lot of different applications out there, and we've talked to, about and different technologies that we are using. And so having a regular, we meet on a quarterly basis, our, our smart communities committee meets on a quarterly basis for each of us to share the different initiatives that we have underway to make sure we're not reinventing the wheel, that we're not operating as silos because, you know, just because I live in city of Henderson and I work in, in Las Vegas, I don't really know where that jurisdictional boundary ends and begins, nor should I have to. It, the onus is on us as, as those jurisdictional leaders to uh, kind of get past our, our silos and, and share all the information, and all of the different initiatives that we've got underway. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk. Sure. Yeah, no problem. My guest has been Tina Quigley. She's CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada and leading up to National Infrastructure Week, May 13th through the 20th. We've been talking about infrastructure and transportation for the future of the Las Vegas Valley for both locals and visitors. For everything about the RTC, go to rtcsnv.com and follow the commission on Twitter at RTCSNV. Tina, thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks, Ira. Thanks. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be Las Vegas.